morning. Good morning. Welcome to 2024. Some of you have already been living in it. Some of you aren't sure where you're living. Either way, welcome. We're going to read um, the first seven verses of the book of Philemon. Uh, you're going to see it on the screen behind you. Uh, and we're going to be in this book for the next four weeks. So I'll go ahead and give you right now uh, permission to use the table of contents in your Bible. It's there for a reason. Uh, or if you're if you are reading it on your device, it's a little easier to find. So Philemon verse one, it's only one chapter, so we'll we're not going to refer to the chapter. Philemon verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, with Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. For the sake of Christ. Power-packed phrasing here. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Philemon, as we continue our journey through uh, our goal of uh, preaching through every book in the Bible... Um, we um, take detours here and there. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. Uh, we're going to do this the f today and for the next four weeks we're going to work our way through this book. Uh, and then the first Sunday in February we have something planned already. But the Sunday after that and for the rest of the month of February, uh, our next sermon series is going to be called Calling. And I don't normally do this, but I'm just letting you know. Uh, you need to plan to be here for that. This is as close as I can get to giving you a commercial. Uh, but you need to plan to be here those four, I think it's four, it's either four or five weeks. I don't remember now. But uh, either way, we need you to plan to be here for all four of those. Uh, if you have trips planned, you're going to need to cancel those. Uh, if you're going to get sick, we need you to take your vitamins and get plenty of rest. It's a very, very important series. But hey, they're all important. Uh, I told one of my uh, young friends who's learning to preach um, for, a, for a pastor, uh, I think the key is to remember that the most important sermon you'll ever preach is the next one. So here we go, Philemon 1, our subtitle for this book, and if you're familiar with this book, you'll understand this, and if you're not familiar with this book, over the next four weeks, we hope to familiarize you with it. Our subtitle is Freedom through forgiveness, freedom through forgiveness, uh, we do actually find fr uh, freedom when we are able to forgive and to be forgiven, and this is actually a key uh, concept, it's a key theme uh, in the kingdom of God, and so what you're going to see is several themes that work our, their way through these sermons, because there are several themes that work their way through this letter so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of these things. But overall, what we're really talking about is kingdom, right? The kingdom. Uh, this is the way that Paul's going to present uh, this letter as he writes to Philemon, which we're going to give you a little bit of context here. Uh, so our sermon title this morning, if you got a, a notes sheet, I hope you did on the way in, uh, Kingdom of Fellowship. 
That's our sermon title for today, A Kingdom of Fellowship. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was trying to think of a good analogy for what's going on here because um, this is really a little firecracker of a book, okay? Uh, it's, uh, in, in, in case you didn't know, uh, the New Testament's not really arranged in chronological order at all. It all kind of happened about the same time, but it, 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 these books, you know, which were letters initially, uh, it was uh, around the same time frame, but they didn't all happen at exactly the same time. They weren't all written at exactly the same time. So Paul's letters actually are written from longest, or uh, the, the order, I should say, that's in your Bible. Uh, they're arranged from longest to shortest. So when you get to Philemon, this is the shortest letter that we have uh, that he wrote, and we're going to talk more about that in just a second. And so it's a little firecracker of a book. It's 22, I think it's 22, 23 verses, something like that. Uh, and I got to thinking about, it's one of those stories, I don't know if you've, you have this uh, experience, but I do. I can remember things from when I was pretty young. I'm going to say five or six, like pretty young. And I kind of remember it in a fog, but I know that it happened because I was there and I, like I saw. I think I'm remembering it correctly. So I'm going to tell you what my memory is. And if this didn't really happen, you know, I can't be held liable. It's just the way that I remember it. But I'm pretty certain this is the way it actually went down. Uh, we had, I, I grew up going to church. My parents raised me in church. And so it wasn't a huge church. And so we had a father-son camp out. We, when I, I grew up, we camped all the time, right? Uh, and so we had this father-son camp out. And I remember being a little guy and we're sitting around the fire, right? There's a campfire and we're sitting on logs around it. And... Um, you know, I guess because it was the 80s, I don't know why, but we were throwing firecrackers in the fire. <laughs> I'm not sure OSHA even existed at that point. Nobody cared if it was safe or not. Uh, in fact, everybody else who was present may not even be alive anymore. I have no idea. <laughs> but I remember sitting there, and somebody had brought a thing of firecrackers, and so we kind of, you know, divvied them up, and so we're taking turns throwing firecrackers in the fire. And I distinctly remember my cousin, who was older than me, and he was sitting across the fire from me. And I, you couldn't really necessarily see what's going on because it was at night. You know, it's dark, and so it's just there's shadows kind of playing everywhere. And, and I remember we're kind of taking turns, throwing them in, they pop, and, you know, it, it was, they were boys. That's entertainment. If somebody gets hurt, even better. <laughs> Do not try this at home. It was the 80s. My cousin, unbeknownst to us, threw an M80 in the fire. Do you guys know what an M80 is? Some of you do. I can tell. We didn't know it. But we discovered very quickly. Because we just saw him do this, and we thought, oh, well, it was his turn, right? And when that thing exploded, we weren't playing with firecrackers anymore. And you can imagine being that young, like, that's why it's a pretty visceral memory, because I thought it was awesome. <laughs> right? So here's the point. This is the analogy. On the surface, this book's firecracker. It really is. But when you dig into it the way that I hope we will, if I do my job well over the next few weeks... Uh, when you dig into it and you really understand the context, you figure out pretty quickly, this is not a firecracker. This is an M80. Like, there is a lot of punch in this. And we're going to unpack, actually, some of the vocabulary that Paul uses in these, these uh, verses. 
um, lend themselves to that. So just to give you a little bit of context, and by the way, today is going to be a little bit more uh, actual, an actual lesson. So if you don't like that, then uh, it's my turn to talk. So you just got to, you're along for the ride. Sorry. Uh, so we're going to talk about Paul's imprisonment in Rome, really, that's what this is about, because we, we talk about prison epistles, some of you know what I'm talking about, if you don't, then just play along, right, you'll, you'll learn something. So in the New Testament, we have what are called the prison epistles, we think of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon as prison epistles. There actually was a fifth uh, that Paul wrote while he was in prison. All these were written, we believe, uh, when he was in prison in Rome, but there were two imprisonments. And so you see, you have 2 Timothy kind of over there by itself, and we know, if you remember your New Testament history, 2 Timothy was the last letter that we have from Paul that we know of. Like that was right before he died, we believe. So that's, so we're, we're going to use this word, uh, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The word is extant. E-X-T-A-N-T. I see some of you actually writing. That makes me happy. Extant, right? I actually put it, I, I changed the slides and I put it on here and I forgot to tell them, so I, that's on me. Uh, it was actually supposed to be up there. Uh, extant. So extant letters, this is not like a Bible word as much as it is kind of a, a, uh, an archaeology word, right? So an extant writing, it means that... The, these are Paul's extant writings. It means that, listen, they are existing and known. So we're not saying Paul didn't write other letters besides what we see in the New Testament. We're just saying we don't have what we believe are faithful copies of them, and we don't know if faithful copies even exist, but if they do exist, nobody's found them yet, right? So this is, when we talk about New Testament manuscripts, we're going to use a word like extant, and I had you write that down because when you leave here today, when your mama calls you and said, what did you talk about in church today? You can say, we talked about the extant writings of Paul. And you just got to let it hang. Yeah. Right? You're a theologian. You're a theologian. Here we go. These are extant writings. So we believe somewhere around 61 to 62 was that first Roman imprisonment where Paul was living in Rome. He was under house arrest. That's the term that we use. It wasn't literally that. But he, he clearly had access to his own lodgings at his own expense. And he had, he had the ability to have visitors who came and left, but he wasn't actually free. He was still in prison, right? So that's the first imprisonment. And then towards 67 to 68, some, we could argue about those dates. But I think uh, this is kind of the, the, the traditional view of Paul's life as far as dating and how things occurred. And I think it's probably pretty accurate. Somewhere in 67 to 68 is when he is put to death for his faith. Uh, so the, Paul wrote these five extant letters. Um, so Philemon is the only personal one. It's to a person. And it's written to Philemon because Philemon was a part of the church at Colossae, right? In fact, the church in Colossae met in Philemon's house, which makes a little bit more sense if you go back and read the verses that we read. So here you have Paul. He's in custody. He's living at his own expense, right? And he's, exp he's in private quarters of some type, and he's receiving visitors. And he wrote this general letter to the church at Colossae. And then he adds this little extra note specifically to Philemon. It's a private note. And he sent both of them with Tychicus. If you go back to Colossians uh, 4, you'll see this. 
And he had a guy with him named Onesimus. Now, y'all listen, because some of you don't even know the context of Philemon. This is the context. Philemon clearly was a wealthy person, and he was a Roman citizen. And in that time, that was a big deal because not many people were. He was a Roman citizen, and he was wealthy. And like many wealthy Roman citizens, he had slaves. And Onesimus was one of his slaves. And Onesimus had run away. He had left, which cost Philemon money. But even more than that, we don't know exactly what happened, but somehow Onesimus cheated Philemon out of something, whether he stole something or he just, he did something to cost real money. There was a real cost when he left. Here's what I'm telling you. For many of us, people have taken things from us, haven't they? We can all tell stories of how we've been wronged, right? And Paul writes this letter back to Philemon. Not just to tell him that he needs to forgive Onesimus, but actually that you need to receive him as a brother in Christ. Because here's the thing. This This is an old Billy Graham quote, right? Such a terrific quote. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter your education level. It doesn't matter how much money you earn or don't earn. It doesn't matter your uh, gender, male or female. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all even before God. We're all equal before God. We've all been forgiven. Listen, and because we've been forgiven, we are called to be forgivers. And when we choose not to forgive, we are choosing to relinquish part of the freedom that has been given to us in Christ. So go back with me. We're going to step through these first seven verses very quickly. I wanted to do this specifically, by the way, we're just going to, all four sermons are going to be like this. We've got to go verse by verse because there's so much power packed, like gunpowder type stuff in here, right? The language that's used, the vocabulary that's used. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Do you see that? A prisoner for Christ Jesus. If you're taking notes on the front there where you have the passage, go ahead and circle prisoner. That's a pretty significant word. You know why that is? Because if you go back to those five prison epistles that we just talked about, this is the only one where he says that. Now, if this were a Bible college class or a seminary class, and we could talk a little bit more. Sometimes I wish we could, like you guys talk. Somebody tell me, right? We can't do that, but I I wish we could, because some of you already know this, right? Normally, Paul wouldn't say that. Normally, he would say something else, and do you know what he would say? Paul and, I heard it, an apostle. Sometimes he uses a little bit different language, but this is the only letter where he says this. It's the only extant letter that we have where he begins it this way, and there's a reason. This is what you and I might call an Easter egg. You know what an Easter egg is in a movie? Okay, how many of you have ever seen Back to the Future? Come on, that's what I'm, I'm an 80s kid. I mean, that's a fantastic movie, right? And 
it's one of those movies where you watch it and then the second time you watch it, because you know how it ends, you realize how many little things in it. Like he they like when he goes back to the future, he's in the or he goes back to the past, he's in the parking lot of the Twin Pines Mall. Do you remember that? And then he goes back and it's just some dude's pine like ranch tree nursery or whatever. And, and the guy takes out a shotgun, tries to shoot him, and he leaves, and he runs over. He's got, there's these two pines out by the road, and he hits one of them, and he runs over it. Did, did you notice when he goes back to the future, it's the Lone Pine Small? Oh, yeah, right. There are all these little Easter eggs like that in the movie when you see it, right? In, in the beginning of the movie, you, you, you have the opening shot, and the, the camera is going through all these shots of all these clocks because they're in Doc's uh, lab, right? You ever notice that there's a clock there with a guy hanging on one of the hands? And do you understand the significance? Because at the end, the lightning hits the clock tower and the dot's hanging from... There are all these little Easter eggs and you don't notice. That's what Paul's doing here. I'm telling you, he was brilliant. And this prisoner, this word prisoner, is one of those Easter eggs. It's one of those... He's going to rehearse many of his key points in these seven verses. He's going to rehearse... He's going to drop some language. He's going to drop some vocabulary. And he's rehearsing some ideas. He's setting the stage for a very particular argument. It has particular vocabulary and particular terminology. So why would he say a prisoner of the Lord? One of the reasons that I think he did, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, he was subtly reminding Philemon that he had paid a high price for the gospel. I'm currently in chains for the gospel. This is a subtle reminder of his sacrifice for the gospel. In some level, maybe he's appealing to sympathy from Philemon, right? Uh, Martin Luther said, Paul empties himself of his rights to compel Philemon also to waive his rights. In other words, I'm going to empty myself of any of my rights. I'm not going to appeal to the fact that I'm an apostle and you have to do what I say. I think there's a second reason. I think in a very subtle, but actually once you see it, it's pretty overt. In a very subtle but overt way, Paul's identifying with Onesimus. Ultimately, we're all in chains. Ultimately, we're all broken. Ultimately, we're all guilty, right? Correct? Yeah, that's a pretty important one. We've got to nail that one. I was having a conversation out there in the lobby with somebody before church uh, about how this is really a church where uh, we accept anyone and everyone, uh, but we're not going to pretend that we're not broken. It's not a country club. That's, that's not what we're going to be about. And if you come in here and pretend that you're not broken, can I just tell you we know the truth about you? Because <laughs> we know the truth about us. And for some reason, every week, they let the, the biggest sinner in the room get up here and preach. And you immediately think, well, I'm going to argue with you because you're not, I am. Right, that's how it's supposed to work. We all know this about ourselves. And Paul is not appealing to some kind of authority. He's aligning himself with someone who had no social capital whatsoever. Paul understood the importance of that. So, 
Paul and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, verse 2, and Aphia, our sister, probably Philemon's wife, that's what we think, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably Philemon's son, and the church in your house. So this is a personal letter, but we do expect that you're going to read it out loud so everyone can hear it. And by the way, Philemon, you don't know this, but I'm about to ask you to forgive someone who has legitimately wronged you. And I'm going to ask you in front of everyone, so you're going to be put on the spot. You're going to be asked publicly to forgive someone. Grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. One thing that you can say about this language that Paul's using is that Philemon's love is both real, his love for the kingdom, his love for the Lord Jesus, his love for the saints, his love for the gospel is very real because Paul says, I'm thankful for you, but it's also developing because he says, I'm praying even more for you. I'm praying for even more for you. Is that true in your life? Is it true in my life that our faith is simultaneously real but also developing? It's authentic, but it's also under construction. This is what it means to be a disciple, by the way. It is difficult and discouraging, this is in your notes, to attempt the work of the kingdom without first loving the king. What does Paul thank him for? I thank God for your love. I thank God for your love. I, I thank God when I remember of how much you love the Lord Jesus. Your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I'm thankful to see how much you love him. I said this a couple weeks ago because it's just been bouncing around in my head for a few months now. So I'm going to say it again right now, and you're going to hear it again. I don't know when, but it's just going to keep coming up. I think that our calling, not just as a church, but as the church, more than all the other stuff, and I'm not saying the other things aren't important, evangelism and discipling people, and right all, all these things that we're called to do, I think we miss the primary calling as the church, is to be the bride of Christ. So first and foremost, before you and I learn more scripture, and it's good for us to learn scripture, right? Before we take more classes, and we want you to take some classes in the next couple weeks, you're going to have a chance to sign up for some. Before we learn to share our faith better, before we do all the stuff that we think we're supposed to be doing, to see God's kingdom move forward. Before we do the work of the kingdom, we should take time to remember that we're supposed to be in love with the king. And I'm going to say this to you. I think part of the ways that we love the king is by remembering that the church is his bride. And I think we should be careful how we talk about her. Gonna get real quiet in here. 
I'm not necessarily saying that because anybody said anything bad about Cap City. You, you, you can. It's probably true. I have a list, too, of things that I want to get better. I have to look in the mirror when I look at my list, right? But any church, anywhere, it, it's remarkable to me how much I hear believers Especially if it's a church that you came from because it was some kind of falling out or something you didn't like or whatever, and we want to, to badmouth. Could I just say something to you? Listen. You're talking about Christ's bride. And I think you need to let that wash over you. Because I'll tell you this if you talked about my bride that way, we would have words. You follow what I'm saying? And first and foremost, for each of us, this should begin, and it does for me as well, by looking in the mirror. Is this true of me? Am I guilty of this? I want to be in love with the king, and I want to honor his bride. Even in her imperfection, even when she doesn't always get it right, even though you may have actually been wronged or betrayed by a church, I'm not saying that's not true. The church is not perfect. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, say it with me, has made herself ready. Which means she's not ready right now. We're not there yet. Still a work in progress. She's not going to be ready until this moment in the future. Do we love the king? And do we love his bride? And I'm just telling you, it is difficult and discouraging to attempt to do the work of the kingdom without first loving the king. And some of you, that's why you feel like your faith journey is empty. Maybe you know it's real. Maybe you're wondering if it's real or not. But you feel like you were sold a bill of goods with Christianity. Can I just tell you something? There's nothing wrong with Christianity. There's everything wrong with the way we practice it sometimes. Our primary calling is not to be obedient to Jesus it's to love Jesus. Thank you. And if we will focus on loving him more and loving him more and loving him more, guess what it will be easier for us to do? Be obedient. This is not about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's about you falling in love with the God who paid a very high price for you because he knows you're worth it. He knows even in your sin, you are that valuable. Verse 6, we keep reading. Now we have some pretty important verses here, so back on the front of your, page, your notes page, we're going to circle some more words. And I pray that the, what's the word? Sharing, Sharing. we're going to circle that one. By the, word, by the way, the word is koinonia. Some of you have been in church a long time and you've heard that word and you're familiar with that word and you actually know what that word means, which is great. It means fellowship. This is a kingdom of fellowship. And this is, listen, 
This is an Easter egg. Paul's purposefully using this vocabulary because he's going to circle back to the idea in just a few verses. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the, what does it say? Full knowledge. You're going to circle that as well. This is not just regular knowledge. This is, a, this is really a deeper knowledge. It's a more encompassing knowledge. It's a, in, in the Greek, it's a, it's a compound word. So it's not just knowledge. It's epi, which is, the, is a, a preposition. And it, it really has the idea of being in full encompassing all around, right? It's directional all around. You're going to have this really encompassing knowledge. It's going to refer to a practical and really experiential knowledge. Listen, it's not just about what you know. It's also about what you have experienced because of what you know. At some point, the knowledge that we gain about God and the knowledge that we gain about his kingdom has to be put into action. And that's what Paul's describing here. I pray that the sharing of your faith, this koinonia, this fellowship, this partnership, which is what koinonia is, really, we're partnering around something really important, right? My prayer is that that will become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In your notes, it says, fellowship happens when like-minded people share and partner together. You can have fellowship without necessarily being religious or being a believer in Christ, fellowship is just an idea. When two or more people unite around something that they share in common, but listen, fellowship isn't just that you and I are friends. It's that we're practically, actively participating in something together. I'm bringing something to the table, and you're bringing something to the table. And if we're Baptist, it's potluck. Which is why we use the word fellowship that way. You bring your dish and I bring my dish and we put it on a long table and everybody has something to eat, right? That's where the idea comes from. We're all fellowship. It's when friendship takes tangible action. So what Paul's really saying here is, I pray that your fellowship and partnership may blossom into its fullest and most complete and final goal. Listen, you're in fellowship, but you're not done yet. And my prayer is that you will keep growing in it. And if you do, fellowship always culminates in something. It always culminates in you and I giving this full knowledge of every good thing that we're called to do. Because we are called to be good to each other. As fellow believers, as fellow kingdom members, we're called to be good to each other. Galatians 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone what a great verse for Christian ethics, right? Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Like we're without excuse. We're supposed to do good to everyone, but man, it's like doubled when we're in fellowship together, when we're all a part of the same kingdom and we're all worshiping and serving the same king, our calling is to do good to other members of our kingdom fellowship. Now, I don't know. The first time Philemon read this, he probably didn't know what was coming. Although he probably thought it was interesting that here's Onesimus, this runaway that had stolen from him, who's now standing, all right, like in the room, right? It's very interesting. But for what you and I know is coming, the Easter eggs, 
that Paul is going to ask him to forgive what was taken from him. Paul's request for forgiveness will be astonishing, but it'll also be a regular occurrence in kingdom fellowship. What are you saying, Tim? This is not the last time a believer is going to be asked to forgive someone of something. Foreshadowing, right? Because also you've been asked to forgive, and I've been asked to forgive. And by the way, there is a tangible, again, we don't know the entire backstory. But part of it is that Onesimus took something of value, of financial value. He either stole money or he took something or he somehow cheated Philemon out of it. There was a, an actual physical financial thing happening here. Philemon could have put a dollar amount on what was taken from him. Look at me. So could you. Because you and I, when we struggle to forgive others... Almost always we take inventory of what was taken from us, don't we? Like Philemon could have proved it in a court of law. And some of you could too. Some of you maybe even have. Can I just say this to you though? Anytime we need to forgive someone else, it's almost always true that they took something from us. They took our innocence. They took, our, they took away, by lying to us or by withholding the truth from us, they took away our ability to make informed decisions, right? They embarrassed us in front of other people and they take, took some self-esteem from us. Maybe it was someone in your childhood that took, you, took innocence from you. <clears throat> Almost always someone took something from us. And could I just say this to you? After 20-some years of pastoral counseling... Almost every one of these situations, what was taken from you, it can't be made right. Like we can't go back. I wish we could. Even if they apologize to you. This is where, I mean, if you get financially, then I guess maybe they could give it back to you with interest, right? But so often the most important things that are taken from us, they're gone. So now the question is, how do we move forward? What does it look like for us to move forward? This is exactly what Paul is writing to Philemon about. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort for your, from your love, my brother, because the, what's the word? Hearts. hearts. So another word you need to circle. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We don't have time to unpack this. It's an incredible idea. Uh, it's, it's called splankna, right? This is the Greek word. And it, for them... They believed it was the seed of their emotions, and it literally, and if you've read the King James, or if you're reading King James right now, you know what I'm about to say, it literally means bowels. You'll never forget that, will you? This word's used throughout the New Testament, the heart, and what it means is they believe that that's the deepest, most core part of who you are, the, the most significant part of who you are. If we drive down to the core of who you are, that's where it is. And that's what he's saying. Listen, Philemon, you are wealthy and you have done good to so many people. You have used your finances. You've used your wealth 
You've used your influence to bless people who don't have the things that you have. This is so cool. Listen. And because of this splank now, because of this word that he used, we know that what he's saying is, as you've done this, you've done it in such a way that it genuinely refreshed them at the deepest part of who they are. They didn't feel inadequate or embarrassed. Like, you know how this works, right? If you, don't, if you need something but you don't have enough money to pay for it and someone comes along and they pay for it for you, it matters greatly how they act in that moment, doesn't it? Philemon, you never made anyone feel less than. You never made anyone feel uh, inadequate. You never made anyone feel inferior in any way. You've refreshed them at such a deep, deep level. You maintained their dignity. You treated them like an equal person because you believe that they are an equal person. So here's the thing. This is our Easter egg for the next few weeks as we unpack this. As we've already said this morning, but as you're going to see as we unfold this letter, Philemon was actually in the right. Like he had genuinely been wronged. You know what? He was going to be asked to forgive Onesimus anyway. And I know there's something in you that thinks, Tim, if you and I could sit down and have coffee, if I could just tell you my story, you would tell me how right I am. It's probably true. And then I could tell you my story, and I was right. I was betrayed by someone in the kingdom. What do we do now? What does it look like to move forward? Especially when whatever it is that they betrayed from me probably isn't coming back. We can't go get it back. What does it look like for us to move forward? What do you do when you've been wounded deeply? What do you do with this unresolved twist, uh, tension? Could I just say this to you? And this is not everybody, by the way. Like, if you don't have, like, faith in Christ yet, then that, that's not you. But if you do, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple, I'm going to say this to you, and, and I do mean it with gentleness, but I need you to hear it. Ultimately, as Christ followers... It's not a question of whether you or I believe that forgiveness is important. It's the fact that our king believes that it's important. It's not about whether you or I are in the mood to forgive others because we're not. I don't want to. I don't want them to get away with it. Someone has to hold them accountable. It's not necessarily about that always not about what I feel like doing or what I'm in the mood to do because here's the thing I need you to hear this the gospel the power of the gospel really is the apex for us as Christ followers it's the summit because it is there that I find that for all of the darkness in my heart and for all the stupid choices that I've made public and private in my 49 years, right? For all of my life story, all the darkness and the shame and the things that I've experienced, I get to be forgiven. I do not deserve to be forgiven, but I get to be forgiven anyway. And that becomes this powerful theme 
that washes down over me. And it has to, it has to, it has to affect all of my interactions with other people. I was forgiven even though I didn't deserve it. You were forgiven even though you didn't deserve it. And it must affect the way we fellowship with each other. And that's the M80. It's not a firecracker. This is much bigger than that. That you and I have the chance to forgive one another. So we're going to pray some verses actually that Paul wrote in his other accompanying letter here from Colossians. Very quickly, very quickly, I want to read these verses to you. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's his list. Here's what we're supposed to put on. Listen. Listen to the language. Put on. That sounds like putting on clothing, right? Yes, that is exactly the terminology that he's using. Put this on. Put on something different. Here you go. Compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. You want to know what the secret is for you and I to forgive? It's that we would pray that God through His Spirit would empower us to be able to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That's God tilling the soil in your heart and getting it ready. For you to be able to forgive. If you're not any of those things, if you're not in that frame of mind, guess what? You're going to be less forgiving. So maybe my prayer isn't just that God would make me forgiving, but that God would give me a compassionate heart and he would give me kindness and humility and meekness and patience. So I'm going to invite you for just a second, just a second, I want you to bow your head right where you are. And I want you to pray, and you could use this list. Pray that God would make you these things. Not just that he would help you to forgive, but that he would make you a compassionate heart and kind and humble and meek. Oh God, we are so grateful that you've forgiven us, that you've made it possible for us to be forgiven of all of our sins. Uh, not just the things that we do when we're unaware or not paying attention, <clears throat> but even those sins that we commit knowingly, those overt things that we do, those rebellious things that we do, you have forgiven us of all of our sin. When we put our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross, you forgive us of all of our sin. We do not deserve it. And now you call us to live in that context. And so we know that we need to be forgiving, and yet we don't always want to be forgiven. So we pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to forgive by making us compassionate, by giving us kindness. Help us this week to put on humility. Help us this week to put on meekness, that power under control, keeping our powder dry, and patience. Give us the patience to bear with each other. And when we have complaints against each other, to forgive each other. Not because we deserve it, but because we have been forgiven. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.